0: with Dr. Meg Mill. How are you Dr. Meg?
1: Hi Ella, thank you for having me. Dr. Meg, where are you today? I am in Indiana, Pennsylvania. It's a little confusing because it's (laughs) actually, we think it's the state. There's an
0: Indiana, Pennsylvania?
1: Is yes. It creates a lot of confusion, yes. It's right outside (laughs) of Pittsburgh, so we're in the greater Pittsburgh area.
0: Uh, Dr. Meg, could you do me a favor and tell everybody who you are and what you do?
1: Yes, I'm a functional medicine practitioner and I see people in my virtual functional medicine practice actually all over the world. So what I do is look into root causes of health issues and then we do testing and personalized plans and really dig into people's overall health and then really find the body's natural ability to heal.
0: Well, that is one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you, obviously, is functional medicine is something that I have taken many a deep dive into, but never on this specific topic, Dr. Meg, that I really wanted to talk with you about today. And that is paramenopause. And I have had so many people, honestly, I think for upwards of three years, I've had people ask me to cover this topic. And for one reason or another, I just never have. So that is what we're focused on today, Dr. Meg. And I thank you so much for being here to do that. Could we start with a baseline definition of what perimenopause even is.
1: Absolutely. And I think one thing, even before we get into that, that I want to stress here is that it's really not a medical condition. We think of, we label these things like, oh, I'm in perimetopause or I'm in menopause, but it's just a natural process that our, every single woman is going to go through. So really just respecting that and and thinking of it as just the phase of life and the transition of your body and something natural, rather than a problem can just put that mindset and perspective in place to really handle it in a way that's proactive and and f- you feel good about.
0: I think we are conditioned, and I'm super glad you said that because I think we're conditioned to think of this a certain way. And I honestly think, if I'm being dead straight with you, I think one of the reasons I never talked about this on the air is because
1: it sounds old. <laughs> <laughs> I know it does. we need a new name. I was actually just thinking about that when you had asked me to talk about this. I thought we need a new name for perimetopause. Oh, no, it needs, it like, needs a, a better name. Yeah, like, like, I, agree, I agree. It needs rebrand. We don't need to be like menopause alone. We'll just like leave that name and then we'll just rebrand to perimetopause.
0: I'm here for it. Yes. I'm here for it.
1: <laughs> I agree. So, and I think like, again, a lot of people are looking at it like this cliff, you're going to fall off when you're 50, but what you don't realize is that you start getting these hormonal imbalances often around 35, you know, you can have really changes in your progesterone about. About 10 years average before the estrogen starts to lower. So, kind of what happens in this perimetopausal win- window is that at first around 35 to 40 hormone balances start to change and first your progesterone levels start to drop. And so you often become estrogen dominant. And so we can get a little bit more into estrogen dominance, but that's the first dynamic that people see, start to see. you start You can start having things like hot flashes and irregular periods and start to see some of these changes, but you can also, so when, when you become estrogen dominant, you also will see like an increase in potentially increase in your headache, increase in PMS symptoms, increase in like a change of moods. So you can start seeing some more anxiety or depression or just that irritability. So, you know, sometimes the periods will start to either shorten at first or lengthen, And the thing is it's different, but you can start to, for each person, but you know, when you start seeing some of those period changes, when you start thinking like, Oh, maybe things that I could handle better before I'm just having a harder time with, I feel like more emotional about things. Those can all be signs that your hormones are starting to shift.
0: So is perimenopause then the thing that we're going to rebrand is that a hormonal state by definition, or is it by definition the season before menopause? Like how, how is one to even think about it? If it can start as early and that's a relative term, but as early as 35.
1: Yeah. So I do, it is that season. So it's more of all of the season from when those hormones start to drop until menopause. So menopause is defined by not having your period for a full year. So, you know, you've reached menopause in In medical terms, when you have not had a period for one full year. Now, that can be 15 years, like we're saying for women sometimes, that they're going through the season. So you're going to, you can go gradually, you can go drastically, you can, you know, it's it's sort of an all individual process and you're you're starting to fluctuate. So generally speaking, first you're going to notice a progesterone drop. So really when you're working with hormones, you really want to we say test, not guess. And we can get more into the testing of what you're looking for because sometimes when we're talking about hormones, it's all about balance. And if we have an imbalance, you're you have to see where the imbalance is. So sometimes you have an estrogen dominant situation because you're just making too much estrogen. But sometimes, often in perimetopause, you have an estrogen-dominant situation just because you have a lack of progesterone. And we're going to treat that differently. Whether if you have a good, healthy amount of, of progesterone, but you have too much estrogen, we treat that differently than if you you're, have a good, healthy amount of estrogen, your progesterone's just starting to drop.
0: Okay. I think we've already learned something. So I think that what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Megan, you correct me where I don't get the language right, is that this is not a condition that one is suffering. (laughs) It is a season that women necessarily pass through between becoming a menstruating person to becoming a woman in menopause, there is a season. And is that a season characterized by fluctuating hormones, if I'm hearing you correctly? And we have come to call this season, which can be 15 years or five years or three years, we call it perimenopause, which frankly makes it sound like a thing that happens to you, like a gatepost that you pass through. But it sounds more like it is describing, I keep using the word season, but it's a Almost a mischaracterization because it sounds like a diagnosis, but it's a phase. Exactly,
1: mm-hmm. you're right. It is. It's a phase of life, and so when you're you start by losing the progesterone, and then after at towards the end, when you're going to stop having a period, that's when the estrogen finally goes down. But estrogen in this season goes up and down. So you're, tr- you're, so you're dropping the progesterone, the estrogen is still being made, but then it, it gets harder. Your ovaries are, you know, getting, we're going to say older, they're not producing as many fall, fo- like viable follicles, but they're still trying to work. So we almost can get these bursts where they're burst, you know, you're going to have the, as the estrogen drops, it drops it, like it starts to drop and then it will like burst and you'll get estrogen and then it will start to drop. And then you'll, you know, cause it's trying to still work. And so That's why people can get some of these symptoms where you're like, I don't even know what I'm going to feel today because it just is swinging all over the place. And we start seeing things like hot flashes and and things going on that are really because of these hormone fluctuations.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't sound like a good time. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me see yeah. if I have this right. So, progesterone is dropping. Estrogen mm-hmm. eventually is increasing if left to its own devices. But during this phase, it's up and down.
1: Yeah. So estrogen isn't going to increase in perimenopause. In it just will not drop as fast. So okay. you end up with the estrogen dominance because your progesterone has dropped, but your estrogen levels have not dropped yet. And progesterone is related. to It has a calming aspect to it. And so progesterone can help with sleep. It can help with anxiety. It can you know, be calming. And so sometimes when you lose that, when that starts to drop, that's why you're, you know, women can't sleep as well. And they're getting more anxiety and they're getting more mood shifts and everything in, in more in this estrogen dominant state.
0: And what is happening with our testosterone in general?
1: testosterone also starts to decline, um, about one to 2% starting in your thirties. But for some people you can actually get as the, you know, it's, it's individual, but that you can actually get a, an increase in testosterone for a period at, during this perimenopause phase before it really drops off after menopause. And so then I, I want to bring up another thing is stress because you know, all of our hormones are connected. And so we have what's called an HPATG axis. And so you're looking at your hypothalamus, your pituitary, your adrenals, your thyroid, and your gonads. And the gonads are on the bottom and that's our sex hormone. So we have to make sure that we're having function in each one of those other hormonal cascades in order they all affect these sex hormones. So your adrenals are really, your thyroid health is really important because that is that affects cellular metabolism, but your adrenals are also really important. And so sometimes that with the, the way the cascade is, you know, we can get too much cortisol and, or too little cortisol, and that has an effect on our hormones. There's a cascade where these, the, you know, the hormones come through and that can also play a role. So really working on other things like stress management can be really key in figuring out how to feel good during this time.
0: Okay, and I definitely want to get to the point in this conversation, Dr. Meg, where we talk about how to do this well, but if you don't mind, I wanna set a few more things on the table for consideration. And that is, first of all, if our hormones are going to start fluctuating, it seems to me, and I sort of wish I had started doing this at like 34, it seems to me that maybe... Ensuring that we have a hormone panel, like a blood test taken every single year, so you know what baseline looks like, might be a good idea. Am I on to something there or am I, is that madness?
1: No, you are. And that really, the th- there's another component to this. And you want to make sure that you're getting a good hormone panel because. One of the things is when you get blood levels taken, our our blood levels are different at any specific time. Hormones fluctuate all the time. And so sometimes whenever you're just getting a blood draw, your hormones can look okay. They can actually at that moment be like, oh, it's fine. You're, you're in range, but really we also want to look at the pattern. So I actually like the Dutch test. That's one of my favorite, that's my favorite hormone test to really use. Because we'll get five different samples with that test. So you do five different samples over a two day period and you see where your hormones are at each one of those points. And then you get an aggregate number to really see the average and, and where your hormones are because of that fluctuation. When we're talking about cortisol, we also even have a daily pattern, a circadian rhythm that we follow and want to. And so if you're not, if you're looking at it just at one point, you can't even tell if you're flatline the rest of the day. I mean, your, your morning cortisol might be fine. And then you may not rise the way you're supposed to during the day. And you may feel tired all day long. And we can't see that from a single blood draw. So that's just um, really be conscious about what kind of test you're getting to. So it would be good to be tested really, and then get the test that would give you the most information. And when we do that, then we can manage this for you in a way that really is seamless because we can help your body, make more progesterone, or we can, you know, help you detoxify estrogen, or we can look at your androgens and see where, you know, the balance is. And then we, there is ways to balance all these hormones. So people feel better. So I see all the time, like, oh, wow, I can't, you know, I I don't know what I would have done without some of the supplements that we're doing to really manage that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It sounds so complicated, Dr. Meg. It sounds really hard, like this dashboard that you need to be looking at with someone else. I don't know how any of us would manage this just on our own and without data. And then even the data to your point sounds really hard to collect in a meaningful way because one test is just a snapshot of that moment in time.
1: Yes. Yeah. So it is good. I mean, if you, you know, I, I, there is a complicated aspect to hormones. So, really understanding how to balance them specifically for you, but there are things you can do, you know, right now. So, You don't have to think, oh, no, I have to, I'm screwed because I can't go to see someone. So um, you can, you know, start doing things that help you detoxify estrogen. Because as I said, the first thing that happens is that estrogen imbalance. So that we know there are, we want to help our bodies get estrogen down a pathway that really helps it leave the body. So there's all these different pathways, there's different pathways estrogen can go down. And we want that to go down a pathway to leave so we don't get this overload of estrogen, particularly when that progesterone starts to go down. So you want to start eating cruciferous vegetables. So that helps push your estrogen down the CYP1A1 pathway, which we want it to go down. Um, And that's something you can add in like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Those are all even root vegetables like carrots, those all help promote that. So those are things that you can do today to just start bumping that up. If you have a th- if you have thyroid problems, I recommend cooking them. Um, people that, and, and actually if you have gut issues too, sometimes cooking them can be easier to digest. So that's just a, a tip. If you don't tolerate those kind of vegetables, well, try to get them in your diet and just cook them before eating. And then we also have to make sure that we're methylating the estrogen out of our body. Well, and that's another, another complicated process, but some things you can do to just boost that are, you know, B vitamins. So B vitamins and magnesium and choline really help with that. So really just even eating an egg, if you can tolerate eggs, sometimes eating an egg a day is good for choline and do some of those things to just really help move that estrogen in the way we want it to.
0: How about the supplement DIM? I hear a lot about mm-hmm. that, but it's not on it's not in my rotation. Can you talk to yes. us about DIM and what is D, what is it's an acronym, right? DIM?
1: Yes, yeah. So DIM is what it's going to do is push the same thing that the cruciferous vegetables are going to do in a stronger way. So you're going to push the um the estrogen down that CYP1A1 pathway and help it leave the body so when you have this estrogen dominance when you have this overload you are using that to supplementally push estrogen out of your body to help with the the phase one detoxification now that being said I don't know that I would just recommend going out and jumping on dim because we don't know if you have high estrogen. So if you don't have high estrogen, then you're going to push yourself in a place with low estrogen. And we don't want that either. That can, you know, once we we're getting more into what we're talking about, menopause, but, you know, you can get, you know, cognition issues, you can get bone you know, it's harder to keep good bone health, you can get harder to build muscle mass and some of those things. So we don't want to, and even dryness and everything, we don't want to push you into a low estrogen phase either. And that's why I do say sometimes you just want to, you know, eating cruciferous vegetables is good. There's nutritional value. That's something you can do right now. I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing DIM unless you have some test data.
0: Yeah. I got to be honest with you. And I have shared this with my listeners before, but I used to just take supplements. I heard other people talk about very scientific dim was one of them. Well, I'm not high in estrogen. I wasn't then, and I'm not now. And I started taking dim because somebody that that looked healthy, suggested it, and I heard it on a podcast, and I immediately started breaking out. And I'm not prone to acne. I'm not prone to breakouts. I never have been. So it was very pronounced. Um, it was very easy for me to associate that with the dim. But after just a few days, I stopped, and then that went away. And I thought, hmm, perhaps there's something to this testing, not guessing thing. Do you want to talk to us? About, you want to deliver a little PSA for us on tests, not guess?
1: Yeah, I would love to, because I get people all the time that come to me on supplement, you know, we can, I can get someone on this list of supplements that they're taking because they're hearing influencers or people talking on podcasts or different things. And you say you are, you're looking for health information. You're looking to what you can do. And someone's saying, oh, this is the greatest, but it is, it, it can be the greatest, but just maybe not for you. And really unless you know that it's good especially when we're talking about hormones you don't want to just run out and jump on different things that can cause other problems because it's not always good for your body and and supplements you know do have consequences they need processed in our body in different ways and they do have consequences so you really do want to be careful you know taking a a multivitamin or taking some like a B complex or something that we know, you know, B complexes are water soluble. And so you will process out what you don't need. So there are some things you can just go out and and pretty liberally just try, but some of these more complicated supplements that do shift things in your body, you, you don't want to just go take, I, I have people coming to me saying, I take parasite cleanses once a month. And I was like, well, do you have a parasite? And they're like, well, no, but I need, you know, I heard it's good to clean out parasites. and like, that's stressful on your body. <laughs> you don't need to do a parasite cleanse if you don't have a parasite, you know, so, so these there can be consequence for sure.
0: Okay. Well, and I'm laughing and yet I am sure I've done equally as, you know, nonsensical things just because it, again, I, I heard someone that had credibility with me say it. So I, I was like, sure, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Okay, that's an important message for everybody. Let's talk about some symptoms around, well, I guess symptoms isn't even what I want to say, how you might feel during this period, because what you're describing to me sounds like a little bit of a roller coaster. Is that fair, Dr. Meg?
1: Yes. Yes. So I think some of the things you're going to look for is you may be, you may have, you know, hot flashes and those generally come a little bit later within the peri, the last more of the last part of the perimenopause window. You also can have irregular periods. So as I said, the periods can either come closer together or start to be more spread out or skipping periods. Another thing to know is um, you may still get a period and actually not be ovulating. So we can still shed Um, without actually ovulating. So you may not be ovulating for a longer period, you know, that again, it's sneaking up on you, like these things are happening underneath the surface that you're not realizing, because you think, oh, I still get my period, but you may already be in this kind of you know, period of time where you're in this perimenopause season. And so then we also want to, um, some of those estrogen dominant symptoms. So if you're someone who's like prone to hormonal headaches, the headaches might get worse at this time. You may have increased breast tenderness. You may have increased irritability, mood swings, worsen, sometimes worsening cramps, you know, anything kind of breast tenderness. Think of those more of those PMS type symptoms. And that can be more dramatic for people in this phase of life.
0: And conversely to what you've just shared is, isn't it also possible that you can still get pregnant during this season of your life?
1: You can, because you might still like, you know, you may ovulate one month and not the next. So you may think like, oh, I, or your periods might be coming up farther apart, but then there is that, that month that you ovulate. So we really need to be careful. You're really not considered full menopause until one year after you get that last period.
0: That'd be a fun surprise. Okay. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Meg, I'm going to open up my Instagram because I asked folks what questions that they had for you. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to hit you kind of rapid fire with a few of these, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. One of the questions is basically about alcohol. Okay. Alcohol seems to hit me harder now that I'm over 40. Is that real? Is it related to paramenopause in any way?
1: It depends. So it depends on what's going on in your body. And you might also have some things going on with your liver where you could be getting like a fatty, well, there could be like a fatty liver or some liver congestion or things like that. You know, I don't know that it's like, oh, a magic switch of alcohol is hard, is, is harder on your body at, in perimenopause, but it, it, we also have other things going on underlying that can be a factor in some of those in just the way it's being processed in the body.
0: Okay. And I think that actually might make a great topic for a future show because it's multifactorial, obviously. And I do know that alcohol can quote, hit you harder after a certain age. So I'm going to put a pin in that one guys. And I will definitely come back to that. Um, Cause I think we could do an entire show on that. Okay. Sort of the same question, but with other things going on with people, somebody essentially asked the same question with regard to acne and hair thinning. Are these related to this season of life, acne and hair thinning?
1: So when I talked about the the, the adrenals and the thyroid; the, those p- symptoms can become more pronounced. So there is something that whenever you're going through menopause and your ovaries are not making as much hormones, we rely more on our adrenals for some of those sex hormones. And the hair thinning comes from. You know, there are factors of your your estrogen in your in the hair um, too, but there is a big factor with hair loss of st- for your stress hormones or cortisol and your thyroid hormone and sometimes you're having an underlying hypothyroid at the same time and so that's something if you are experiencing hair thinning i think one of the things that would be good to look into your hormone balance but it would also be a good idea to have your thyroid checked and your adrenals checked because there is a real thing of the, the cortisol. We're seeing it a lot with COVID and COVID hair loss. Actually, there is a, there is a, a factor that people after the experience of COVID are getting this dramatic hair loss. And that is because of the stress on your body during COVID because stress can be biological too, not just, not just emotional. And so when you're getting these high stress and this cortisol goes up, that can cause the hair loss as can not getting enough cellular metabolism from your thyroid hormones.
0: Okay. So we definitely want to start paying attention to our hormone levels, even before we suspect we might be in perimenopause. I'm gathering so that we have a baseline and we also need to not ignore our thyroids and our, our thyroids. We only have one, <laughs> our collective thyroids and our adrenals. Is that a fair summary?
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. And acne can also come from. Um. There is another that's actually can often be from uh, from our androgen side. So the androgens are important too. When we were talking about that testosterone, there is a hormone called alpha DHT, and when that is raised, for a lot of people, that can also create a male pattern baldness. And that can um, also cause that chin acne. So sometimes when you're getting that large, like they call it hormonal acne, or those like large cystic acne on your chin, that's a good sign that you may have an elevation of DHT.
0: Dr. Meg, you're a functional medicine doctor Mm -hmm. in the States. Can anyone go to any physician and get this type of panel done with this type of feedback? Or do you recommend that they go to a hormone specialist or a functional medicine practitioner?
1: I think the functional medicine practitioner really looks deeper into, I don't think you'll get that same evaluation from your primary care. And the good thing is like, You know, I have a virtual practice. I know a lot of us have virtual practices. So you don't even need to go to someone in your local area. You can go to someone anywhere in the country that you feel comfortable with. But it's much more of a deeper dive. We spend a lot, you know, I see my patients for an hour to an hour and a half and we really dig into things. Um, You know, I think sometimes when it's just that, more of that conventional model, not to knock it, but you know, you're getting that like seven minutes in and out, like let's just test what we can give a medication for. And so we're kind of flipping that around and really diving into let's really look and dig into this imbalance and evaluate it and and really personalize each approach individually.
0: That has certainly been my personal experience. And sometimes it costs more, or sometimes it's out of pocket. And I just have to say, like, if the if I'm going to spend my money on something, you can be darn sure it's going to be on my longevity. Like, and and that's, I know not everybody even has the disposable income to make those choices, but if you do, I'm speaking to you. So I just, I'm a huge advocate for that because another thing that I noticed as well, Dr. Meg, is when I go to the conventional doctor, if you will, the, I'm trying to think of how to say this, the data that they use to evaluate where I am says, you're doing great. When I go to a functional medicine practitioner, the ranges are different and I'm not being compared to the the entire population of the United States. I'm being compared to what is optimal. I would much prefer the latter. So I don't want to know that I'm doing great for my age. I want to be, you know, top zero, 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 two percent for what's capable, you know, what I'm capable of at this point in my life. It's, is.
1: Absolutely. And that will help you feel better. So that's the thing when you're so the standard range is two um, the like overall standard range with lab work is two standard deviations away from the general population of the United States. And that, you know, we're really looking just for outliers. But in order to feel your best, you need to have those optimal ranges. And once we can get you in the optimal ranges, you can see a huge difference in how you feel. I'm going to use thyroid because we kind of mentioned thyroid, you know, so you're going to go and often just get a TSH. And the TSH level for a thyroid is really just your brain's feedback mechanism from the pituitary gland for for your thyroid gland to produce hormone. But we need the thyroid to produce the hormone and then we need it to be converted into what we call T3, And then T3 needs to go in the cell. And if if your TSH can be perfectly fine, but if that T3 isn't going into the cell and doing what it needs to do, then you're not experiencing the positive effects of your thyroid hormones. So it really digs deeper into making sure you're getting there. And then once you do, you feel a big difference.
0: Okay. Thank you for clarifying that for us. Let me ask you two more questions from the chat. Somebody says quite simply how to get your energy back. Now I know that that's not a simple answer, but what, what comes to mind for you first, when someone says, how do I get my energy back at this season in my life?
1: Yeah. So sometimes like thyroid would be something that I would think of with energy. So we're going to look at your thyroid hormones. We're going to look at your B vitamins. You want to make sure that you have a good amount, an ample amount of B vitamins. Um, you know, people are often low on B12. So even something as simple as taking that supplement can actually boost energy. Good. We want to make sure that you have enough iron because if you're you're going to feel really wiped out if your iron's low. And and really making sure again in that functional range that your iron's optimal. And then the other thing is really making sure that your stress hormones are balanced. So cortisol, if your adrenals are burnout and you have adrenal fatigue, you often will just feel exhausted all the time. So we would want to look at your adrenals and make sure that that is that you're really getting that curve that we want to see through the day that we're supporting that actually really taking that time and respecting your body and you're calming your stress down. And some things like that can go a long way sometimes in just supporting adrenal health.
0: Well, and this might start to sound like a lot to somebody, but I just want to be clear. And then Dr. Meg, you can tell me what's normal, but I get my blood drawn twice a year and I get all of the data you're talking about each time. So it's one blood draw each time. And I get all of these numbers. And now, you know, after several years of interviewing experts like yourself, I know what to specifically ask for, but all of this is fairly standard. If you're getting your blood taken with a functional medicine practitioner, is that correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. It's not complicated. You can get them from a simple blood draw.
0: Okay. Here's the last question from the chat. And Dr. Meg, it's it's certainly not the least. That is weight gain and muscle atrophy, basically. So the obvious complaint here, and you hear it a lot, I'm sure, is people talk about the inevitable, and I'm putting that in quotes, weight gain associated with this season of life called perimenopause, and or the inability to build or sustain muscle. What's your take on that? Cause you must hear this all the time. Yes,
1: well, so I think, I'm gonna talk about muscle mass first cause it's a little easier to unpack. So that it does get a little harder for our bodies to man, to make muscle and sustain it once our estrogen drops. So once you get closer, to menopause, then you are going to lose more muscle. You, you, it's not, you're not, yeah, you are going to like potentially lose some muscle mass and just have a little bit more, um, difficulty building it. So you just, that is where we do work with your hormones and really help support you to, you know, do as much as we can to build that, Base back up for you. The and the weight is is a is a difficult question because it, it there's so many factors. You know we have to we we look at hormone balance. So hormone balance is a factor, but I think in some ways we have gone a little bit too much in also blaming just hormones. So we've we've swung in sometimes from like oh it's just my, I can't lose weight because of my hormones. Um, When we also could be making some dietary changes to support that. So there's a lot of factors in this. And, you know, making sure that you're really eating balanced meals that you're getting a lot of nutrients that you're, you don't necessarily want to go to keto everybody has a different opinion on these diets so but there is some data that supports that that for people that are still menstruating some of those diets that are really low carb can be harder for menstruating women men mm-hmm. af- women after menopause and men tend to do better on that kind of a diet but really still being mindful of are you getting your carb are you getting your carbs from fruits and vegetables and you know, whole grains? Are you getting your carbs from high fructose corn syrup? I mean, we'll go with it. Like there's a very wide variety of the way we eat. You know, you're eating healthy. I do have people that are saying like, I'm doing everything right. And I still can't. So, you know, then we do look to balance your hormones. And we also will look at, you know, I keep going back to cortisol because that plays a role in all of these, because it's all in that access. Sometimes when we have high cortisol levels, We have a process that's called de novo lipogenesis and that, that will pack weight around the middle. So women will often see that, that tummy weight gain that you can't seem to lose. So there are factors that are involved there too, but I think, you know, often once we get that your body calmed down in a relaxed state, we get those hormones balanced. People can actually release the weight easier.
0: Yeah. I think this is a really important topic because. there there are not many things worse to go on in your own head than feeling like your body is completely out of your control. It doesn't matter what you do, your body is not on board and it's not cooperating and you don't even feel connected to it. Like that's a terrible feeling. And I know personally I've been there and I know that some of the folks in my pod fam have definitely been there and some might still be there. And the reason I say that though, is to also contrast it with the reality that sometimes we say things things like, well, I'm getting older. So, or of course this is happening because I'm getting older and I just, I refuse to buy in to the, I'm getting older. So I must accept decline, Dr. Meg. I mean, yeah, some things are declining. (laughs) That's going to happen, but I just absolutely choose to look at my forties and then I'm not too far away from looking at my fifties in their face and just kind of reframing the whole dialogue to be, how do I maximize and optimize where I am right now? And that is such a different feeling in my body than waking up and being like, well, I guess that's happening. I know I'm just sort of blathering on about this, but I'm quite passionate about not falling into the trap of blaming outcomes we do not want on things we cannot control. And if you are waking up every day and saying, I look and feel this way because I'm getting older, I think you are selling yourself short. What would you say to somebody about that, Dr. Meg?
1: I agree. I think we absolutely have so much in our control. So when you're looking at the studies, it shows that our genetics are really only about 20% of what our outcome is in our longevity and in our health. And so you do think, you know, that kind of goes even a a step deeper into people just thinking, well, that's my family history, that's my genetics, I'm just getting older. And there's, we know that that there's so many things you can do actually to modify your genetics. So you don't have to live in that same pattern that your parents did or your grandparents, you have the opportunity to take control. And it feels so great to actually have that control. I used to work in a VA clinic in my 20s when I had first finished my residency. And I saw men that were veterans and someone could come in who was 80 years old and someone could come in who was 55 years old. And I would come home and tell my husband, wow, the man, you know, the 80 year old was like with it. He like looked good. And the 55 year old was falling apart. And so it really, you know, from a young age, I saw, wow, there's just there's a big discrepancy. So it's not about your age. It's it is all relative. And you have a lot of, I reiterate that you do have a lot of control. So if you can take action and and live in a way that promotes good health, you have a lot more longevity to, to experience.
0: What are some of the things we can and should be doing to feel our best during this season of our life? And specifically we've talked about testing. We've talked about supplements and some things to add into our diets, incorporate into our diets. What about hormonal therapy and then anything else that you suggest we actively be doing if we are in this season?
1: So I think if you're going to do um, hormonal therapy, you want to do bioidentical hormones and that's really individual. I know there's a lot it there's almost like we could unpack this the like uh, on a whole podcast too because people have a wide variety of opinions on HRT and, and so if you, you know, if you are someone who wants to take that, that hormone route, getting a good bioidentical hormone therapy and going with someone that you really trust is a good, you know, is a good method. There are also a lot of supplements that we can do in the process, especially in perimetapods, because you, you don't really use the HRT until after you're, you're really deficient in hormones. That's kind of like more of the metapause treatment. And so, you know, there's, you're really looking at more things that are going to balance and build. So one thing I think that you can do to start in your life is really look at endocrine disruptors because we are surrounded all the time by things that we call xenoestrogens and your body is bombarded with with estrogens outside. And so we're, we can live in this estrogen dominant kind of state as we're getting this drop in progesterone and then we're bombarded by outside. So you can do skin like skin products, clean up. I tell people just, you know, do one product at a time because it can be expensive to replace all your products. But if you look for like organic skincare and, and body wash and hair and shampoo and conditioner really make some of those changes to more natural products. We can look at our kitchen and look at plastics because we're eating out of plastics and BPA is an endocrine disruptor and so switching to glass containers and and you know just those small changes even you know looking for hormone free beef and and dairy and all those things that can have impact and so sometimes just doing small things each one after another can really impact the way you feel. so there's things definitely you can start doing today.
0: And one thing that you've touched on several times, and I haven't really asked you about it yet is you've mentioned cortisol several times. You mentioned the belly fat that can accumulate when cortisol is high and obviously the disruptions in our sleep patterns and, and, and even in our digestion, the list is long. How can we better manage our cortisol levels? I think it is frankly important for everyone.
1: Absolutely. It is. And I think it's something that we don't prioritize enough so you really want to take the take time for yourself i mean you know we especially women i feel like we always want to give and we're doing things for everybody else and it's like oh, i gotta get this done or give to my children or my husband or my you know friends and and just taking that time to self-reflect and do something at least one thing that calms your body back down every day so you want to get your body back in that parasympathetic and whether it's breath work whether it's meditation whether whether it's singing or dancing or walking in nature or anything. I tell people I work with, find something that relates to you because what relates to me and calms me down may be different than what relates to you. And so find something that really is calming to you and, and try to at least get five to 10 minutes daily. I I would rather you do it every day or as much as you can than try to do like oh, I'm going to get an hour in and then do that once every few weeks. It's not getting that daily routine. So I think just really finding something that resonates and calming yourself down and and working on soothing your adrenals and bringing your body back into that rest and digest mode is really important.
0: Yeah. And I know we're just scratching the surface, but I think that half of adulting, Dr. Meg is just hustling, 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 breaking, figuring out what broke you and then learning how to not do it again. <laughs> is, yeah, that, yes. is
1: it just me? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Cause we, we go, go, go. And we live in a world and we don't, our bodies haven't evolved as much as the world we live in. So our bodies are like a lion is chasing me. And they're not thinking like, Oh, I have to like run a million errands. So it's, thinking, okay, let's run for our lives. And we're not recognizing that that's the way a lot of us live a lot of the time.
0: Well, thank you very much for this paramenopause 101, Dr. Meg. This has been a really good introductory course for many of us. I've already learned a lot. I want to encourage the listeners to send me any questions. As you can see, if you send me a question in Instagram, I will always see it. And Dr. Meg, if we get some questions in, can I bring you back on to answer them?
1: Absolutely. I'd love to come.
0: Okay. That sounds terrific. All right. Dr. Meg, thank you so much for your time, but I cannot let you go until I ask you one question. I love to ask all of my guests. And that is what is one thing totally unrelatedly, if you like, what is one thing that you are loving right now?
1: I am loving, actually, we didn't really get into sleep, but I'm loving the aura ring because you really get to see how much sleep you're actually getting You're wearing it. So I um, love just really getting to see how much sleep I'm getting, what quality. I think that can be a huge way to put up a mirror in your life and see how you're sleeping. And and Because I think a lot of us aren't getting the sleep that we think we are. And so when you wear that and you can look at your recovery and all of that, it really gives you a lot of great information.
0: Okay, so Dr. Meg is mentioning the aura ring, and I, we're laughing because we can see one another. And I showed her the one that I'm wearing. So, my husband and I both got them for Christmas, and I got it because my husband's traveling all the time. And I thought he was sort of wearing himself into the ground. So, I wanted some data to back me up. (laughs) I wanted some visible way for him to sort of track that. And I thought, well, if I get one for both of us, we can kind of make it a thing. And so, that's been very interesting. If you guys are curious, feel free to ask me questions and maybe I can elaborate on a future episode. Dr. Meg, thank you so much for your expertise and your time today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dr. Meg, before I let you go, where do you like to be found?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. I am over on Instagram at drmegmill, so it's Dr. Meg Mill, and my website is megmill.com. I have a freebie over there that can help you uh, as a wellness tractor to see some of the things in your life and really put that mirror up to what some of the things we talked about, like sleep and food and, um, you know, just stress reducing. So you can go over and grab that if you have any interest.
0: And Dr. Meg, you work with people outside of the U S as well, right? We have a lot of listeners outside of the U S are you available for that?
1: I do. Yes, I, absolutely. I love connecting with people. I work with people all over the world.
0: Okay. Terrific. Thank you so much, Meg. It's been a real pleasure to finally meet you. Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at OnAirWithElla or get the show notes and links at OnAirElla.com. There's no with. It's just OnAirElla.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.